0: Good morning. It is Monday, April 13th, 8.13am. I hope you all had a good week. I know I did. It felt really long to me. It just, it was kind of hard to keep track of the days, but somehow I managed. But yeah, it was just one day into the next. I guess that's how Weeks and days go. (laughs) Nothing too unusual about that. But all things considered, you know, feels different. Been going to bed like around 11 p.m. Waking up pretty early. I slept in a bit today. I had this dream. It's like my first... I guess, pandemic dream, that I was at a coffee shop buying coffee, and this young woman came up to me and said, hey, hey, and she was really close to me, she was like two feet away from me, and I just like backed away from her, and then she started blowing on me, she said, "Hello." And I said, I turned and I said, get out of my face. Get out of my face right now. And then, you know, she said, oh, sorry. I'm so sorry. i kind of in a, a sarcastic way. I was like, oh, that was a total social distancing dream because I was... In my mind, I was thinking this person is less than six feet away from me, and I felt scared. So, anyway, not sure. I guess maybe just from what everyone's going through that I had the dream. On Saturday, I dropped some things off at the post office, and then I went to get Lavinia's cat food. And as I was getting the food, I noticed, you know, I didn't have a basket because they were only letting people use large sharp shopping carts. And so I didn't want to use a whole cart for just some food and some milk, but my hands were full. And then I had, you know, the gloves and this kind of unwieldy mask, which I don't like wearing the mask but you of course have to and it just I don't know it makes it kind of hard for me to breathe and I really don't like I don't feel comfortable in it but I have to wear it so it really stops me from going out um so I'm in the aisle with my mask filling up the cat food and this this person that I who's like an acquaintance really um came up to me and they they did not have a mask on and were like hi Michelle but not in a friendly way just kind of like in a weird aggressive way which is usually how they greet me and it really irks me um, but it was more irksome because they were not observing social distancing rules and they didn't have a mask on my hands are completely full so you know I just kind of gave them a nod because you're not really supposed to talk to people when you go out in public either Um, just because transmission could occur or you know from either direction so he got offended about that and then he's like well here will this make it better and they put their mask on and just started like commenting on what kind of food I was buying and you know, it was just so uncomfortable. And I just, you know, I'm, I said, have a nice day. And then I just like walked away. Cause I was like, I can't deal with this. It was so, it was made me so grateful to get home <laughs> because I'm just like, that's one person I will continue to socially distance myself from, um, people, there's people out there that just don't get it. We're in a pandemic. Anyway, I've been watching a lot of movies and I um wanted to do a piece here about a uh, an actress who had a rather tragic and short yet very interesting and full life. Um But before I get into that, I wanted to do something that is something somewhat related. Um, I wanted to tell you guys about Skip E. Lowe. Have you guys heard of him? Oh my god. He is the epitome of Hollywood Babylon, in a way. Um, Skip E. Lowe was a child actor who he had most of his work in in the early 30s i believe and he lived in hollywood and he always had his finger in the pie so to speak and he he kind of turned into a, a like a columnist of sorts and then he ended up having a show on public access called Skippy Low And it was all about old Hollywood, and he would interview people on there. He interviewed Eartha Kitt, Mamie Van Doren, Tony Curtis. I mean, he actually pulled some pretty big people. And then, you know, he would also interview lesser-known acts, like, you know, three singing sisters who had probably been in two MGM films, who are now living in Florida I mean he he really ran the gamut um Cloris Leachman's sister who that interview is bonkers because she cannot stand being known as Cloris Leachman's sister because she has her own very serious lounge jazz singing act and it's just you guys gotta go check it out on YouTube. It's so entertaining. It's, it just, it just captures like the essence of, you know, the LA story. And Skippy Lowe is somewhat, he has some, a somewhat kind of rubbery cartoonish face with extremely expressive eyes. He has his hair kind of slicked back, in a whitish blonde page boy bob and he always wears a black turtleneck it's just it's so good and I could just imagine Skippy Lowe interviewing this actress I'm about to talk to you about I'm closing my eyes sometimes and I think about it that's why I mentioned him because it's in keeping with old Hollywood. So the actress that I'm going to talk about today is Gloria Graham. Uh, she was in a lot of film noir films, uh, most famously, uh, The Bold and the Beautiful for which she won the Best Supporting Actress Oscar. And she was also in The Big Heat She was born in November 1920. 19, she, was born, she was born November 28th, 1923, in Los Angeles, California. So she was an LA girl from start to finish. Her father was a British architect, and her mother was an actress and a Acting coach, primarily an acting coach. So she acted on stage. Her mother was from Scotland. And Gloria was descended via her father's line from the Plantagenets. Now, the Plantagenets were the original rulers of England. And they lost their place in the throne in the battle in the War of the Roses, which is for another podcast. But they were descended from the Plantagenets through directly through Edward III. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, none of the royal family that rests upon the throne is from the Plantagenet line. They're all from the the, um, the Tudors. So, she was taught to act by her mother, and she eventually ended up dropping out of Hollywood High School to pursue acting further. So, her, the film that really put her on the map was It's a Wonderful Life by Frank Capra. She plays Violet Bick and for those of you that aren't familiar this is not a spoiler I'm not giving any spoilers in this um, she, she plays kind of a, a floozy type character um, but very saucy and um, she acts like she has a bit of a crush on Jimmy Stewart's character throughout the movie and then there's a different side of her that comes out in a parallel universe. So she, I thought that was my first exposure to her or so I thought, I thought that that was the first time I had seen her or that I'd recognized her, but actually she was in Oklahoma and that would have been the real first time that I ever personally saw her on screen. That was films in 1955, so that was about nine years later. Um, but something had changed with Gloria's face by then, and that is why I didn't recognize her initially. It, it, it was funny because I thought, wow, she looks like Ado Annie in Oklahoma, somewhat in the eyes, but I knew it couldn't be her. It was because she had her lips done. She was one of the first actresses or Hollywood people known that people knew that she had her lips done. Um she was very self-conscious about her lips. She thought that they were too wrinkly. That she had too many vertical lines in her lips. Even though if you look at pictures of her she's she's gorgeous. There's no there's no wrinkles that I could see. She would stuff a thing of cotton wadding underneath her lip. So between her teeth and her lips under her gums, she would put cotton wadding in there. And I'm actually going to do that right now so you can get an idea of what that sounds like. One moment. And it's a little bit different, isn't it? And you know what it's kind of hard to talk like that um but she did it for vanity and okay i removed it ooh that's uncomfortable it's very strange and the cotton wadding would get very soggy and when she would have a kissing scene it would sometimes fall out ooh um so that's what she was doing before the surgery She was extremely self-conscious about her appearance, very insecure about her looks. So when she got her lips done, uh, it left the top lip paralyzed. And it kind of just, I mean, she was no less beautiful, but it it did make her her lips look noticeably different in the film to the extent where it threw me off. And I'm a really observant person, so I, I, you know threw me off. Um, She also had her chin done. She had a small cleft put into her chin. She thought that her chin was too small and not distinctive enough. Now being in Hollywood is hard because you know there's always you might be the most beautiful girl where you live but then you go to Hollywood and everyone looks like a better version of you and they all want the same part. Well, she was born and raised there. And so she grew up with this with this urgency and insecurity around her looks. I think my take on it is that it was because of that. And also kind of groomed to be a famous actress, you know. So she was had her contract sold to RKO after I think from what was it so from MGM to RKO they sold her contract because they're like we can't make we can't make Gloria Graham a star she just doesn't have what it takes and this was after this was um after 1946 after she played Violet Bick in It's a Wonderful Life which that That just blows my mind. She did an amazing job as Violet in It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, she's saucy, she's flirty, she's vulnerable. She's a great actress. She's a really great actress. Uh, On the Criterion channel, they have a ton of films that she's in right now because they're having a noir festival. So I highly recommend... You shell out the six bucks a month and and get it so you can see. You might be able to find some of the things on YouTube. In 1950, she starred in a, a rather strange film noir um, opposite Humphrey Bogart. And it was called In a Lonely Place. Now, on set, she and Bogey didn't really get along from the get-go because Mogi wanted Lauren, Lauren Bacall, to play the part that Graham, that Gloria Graham got. Um, the film is about this. Film is the kind of film that I could relate to, as far as the relationship dynamic was concerned. Um, just because, like when you know you love someone who is <laughs> deeply flawed. And you are also, you deeply flawed yourself because you're a human being. So there was, I think any human being can relate to it. (laughs) Um, but the way that it was, the way that the, that drama of, of imperfect love plays itself out in this, this noir film is, is quite stunning. So, um. Bogey plays a screenwriter who is kind of washed up um he drinks too heavily, and there is somehow he gets wrapped up in and accused of committing a a gruesome kind of black orchid style murder um and then Gloria's character plays her this mysterious and alluring woman who is the only witness that can prove Bogey didn't do it. And they end up falling in love and it's just it's it's tragic. It's it's wrenching. Um it's a very beautiful film about strange love. Um one of the things one of the quotes from a scene that I'm I will share with you, just so you can kinda of just get a gist of it. It's a famous quote, so I'm not spoiling anything. But Bogie and Gloria are driving in the car together and he's feels inspired by her and is working on a new script, just inspired by her. He's he just he's enthralled by her. He's being in her presence has given him kind of a, you know, a new lease on a more fucked up aspect of his life. <laughs> um, but they're riding the car. It's nighttime. And he's like, oh, I, I want it to open like this. And it says, I was born when she kissed me. I died when she left me. I lived a few weeks while she loved me. And, you know, Gloria's just driving along and it hits her and she's like, oh, you know, she kind of, you can see silently um, without her saying anything that she realizes that he's talking about her. And then he asks her to say those lines back to him. It's pretty wild. It's pretty powerful. I've definitely, I don't think I've had a lot of love affairs, but I've definitely been in situations where I felt those exact emotions. And I think that a lot of people can relate to that. You don't have to movie, be a movie star to to relate to the, that intensity of feeling. So another aspect of this is that it was this film was directed by Nicholas Ray. Nicholas Ray was Gloria's second husband. Before then she had been married to Stanley Clements for only three years. And the day that the divorce was final, or or I think the day or the day after, then she married the director, Nicholas Ray in 1948. So by 1950, when the movie was being made, their marriage was in the shitter and they separated secretly um, where the director, Nicholas Ray, would be sleeping in the um dressing room and i don't think anyone really gave a rat's ass whether they were separating or not everyone had their own problems i mean bogie was drinking like a fish <laughs> you know but you know that's the thing about hollywood everyone is so self absorbed they think everyone gives a crap they have yes men around them you know very self involved it's very very focused on the self so, um, he also made Gloria sign a contract that was super bizarre, and it said, during the filming of this, of In a Lonely Place, Gloria will give me complete and total control of her life from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., except for Sundays, and also, yeah, what was the other thing? Oh yeah. Gloria may not use any of her feminine wiles upon me. No nagging, no wheedling, no cajoling of any kind. Can you believe it? No wonder she wanted out of that marriage. I mean come on. He sounds he sounds annoying. Um but that movie is excellent and They got a lot out of it. I think Lauren Bacall would have done a fine job of it, you know. Um, But the underlying contempt for each other and for themselves that the characters portrayed, I feel like that may have been perfectly underscored by Bogey's dislike of Gloria. So I think it worked, you know? Um, One of the reasons why Gloria and Nicholas Ray split up is it is is a big Hollywood scandal and rumor. Um, This is the kind of thing that if you lived back then, you would have known about. Now, I didn't know about it. I found out when I was looking up about her different husband she had. Um, Apparently, one of the reasons for their split is Nicholas had a son named Anthony, also known as Tony, and he was about 13 years old and had been at military school. And the rumor is that Gloria and... Nicholas were found in bed together after he was on furlough from, from his military school. That Nicholas Ray, the director walked in on them. Who knows if this is true. Of course, Gloria profusely denies it, denied it. Um, But considering her interest in younger men, which we'll talk about that a bit later, um, it could be feasible. Apparently, she was very, very seductive and was very, like I said, very insecure and needed adoration and... And basically just needed attention. So perhaps if Nicholas were disenchanted with her, then maybe not out of spite, but maybe just kind of out of a selfish loneliness, she may have done that. You know, I think anything's possible. But it can't quite be confirmed. So... She divorces Nicholas Ray, marries Cy Howard, two years later in 1954. And that marriage only lasted a little under three years. And he apparently was very abusive towards her, and he beat the the crap out of her a bunch of times. Now, I know that domestic violence is now on the rise due to quarantine and that domestic violence has never really gone away. Um, There's more resources available to women, um, but it's kind of shocking how many women have experienced domestic violence and how many of us know someone who has experienced it and or related to someone or who grew up with domestic violence when you sit there and you think about it, just, just think about it for, for one minute, you may shock yourself with the realization that it, that it is something that is just in, it's a, in our society. But it was especially rampant during the 50s, um, before the women's liberation movement. There were more reasons to stay married to someone. More was on the line. Because in the interim. Gloria had children. She had two children. So she had. I believe. what She had many many children. She had two children from her first marriage. She had one child with Cy. The man who beat her. And then she later had. Two children with her fourth and final husband which I'm getting to that um, but I still wanted to talk a little bit about the theme of of uh, domestic violence and violence in women towards gen- towards women in general um, directed towards Gloria's characters there's a lot of hitting there's women being tossed and thrown around. I felt really triggered actually. Um, when I was doing my research for this piece when I decided I wanted to write about Gloria. Um there, there's a film called The Big Heat, which I think is probably one of the most amazing film noirs I've seen this week. Um, It was directed by Fritz Lang in 1953. This is when she was in between her marriage to um, Nicholas Ray and Cy Howard. So she was actually kind of a single-ish gal at the time. So it was directed by Fritz Lang and she plays a gangster's mole who has very little self-worth and who is looked down upon as kind of a second-class citizen by the police department. And there is a scene where her character gets hot coffee thrown in her face. And the sound of her screaming and her just the characters complete and total, like begging. It was so, so chilling. So, I mean, it was so real, you know? Um, She was also could probably relate to an aspect of that character because she relied so heavily on her looks and was also very, um, very insecure about her looks and, and thought that she was ugly that you could, you could hear and feel the terror in her voice where she really, she really leaned into the method acting aspect of that and embodied the terror of, of that moment very deeply. So that, that is, uh, Oh my God, that one is, that movie was a real doozy. Um, uh, And that stars Lee Majors as well. He's the one who who throws the coffee. He is the bad guy. So in 1958, right after her divorce from Gloria Graham, she reunites with someone from her past. Is it Nicholas Ray? No, it is not. Is it Sy Howard? No, it is not. Is it Stanley Clements? No, it is not. Someone from her past who she was alleged to have an affair with. Tony Ray. Or Anthony Ray. The son of Nicholas Ray. That's right. She married her stepson. And that marriage lasted for a long time. So they dated for two years from 58 to 60 and they didn't divorce until 1974 so it was her longest running relationship. They had two children together and in this in this time it, right after they got married um, both Nicholas Ray and Cy Howard sued her to get custody of the children that they had had together. Um, and she ended up having two more children with Tony Ray. The, 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 um, emotional toll that, that those court cases took on her and also the scandal, the rumors that came up about her sleeping with, with Tony when he was 13. Um, you know, basically that's an accusation of molestation. Um, and then being married to him later as he was his, her stepson, it took such a toll on her that she had a nervous breakdown. And in 1964, she was hospitalized and she submitted to electroshock therapy treatment. It's so wild. It's so wild. She must've been so very sad. And my heart really goes out to people who are in in that state of turmoil. And her marriage with, with Tony, even though it lasted a long time, you know, the strain of these also had an effect on him. And it made things kind of shaky. But then she was kind of shaky and kind of fragile, you know. So she was a bit of a paradox because in ways, in some ways, she did exactly what she wanted to do and she slept with who she wanted and she married who she wanted. Um, But then on the other hand, she was very insecure and very emotionally fragile and very vulnerable. But, you know, that's, that's what makes people interesting. Is that complexity that that dichotomy that exists within us? I wanted to back up a little bit and talk about Oklahoma because that was that was probably one of my favorite musicals growing up. Uh, we weren't really allowed to see anything that was even PG for a long time, um, but they did a re-release of Oklahoma. Um, I believe it had been like the 30 year anniversary. So I saw it when I was about eight and it was shot in CinemaScope. It was directed by Fred Zinnerman, who had done From Here to Eternity. And this was his first and only musical. It was a huge, big budget thing that that verged on the flop. Uh, It had a, I think a six, it cost $6 million to make. And it was shot partially in Oklahoma and Arizona. Now the parts in Oklahoma were so overdeveloped and overfarmed that they had to um, they had to really scout for a long time to find places that resembled the Oklahoma of the olden days, and then the rest they shot in Arizona. Also when they shot in the spring, corn wasn't up yet. So they had to have these agriculture students grow the corn in these little pots and hope to God that, that their, that their micro crop was enough so they could create that scene where it says the corn is as high as an elephant's eye. Um, Gloria was kind of an odd pick for the part. Mamie Van Doren was was really wanting to have that role. Um and I think that she would have been a delightful fit. Mamie is she is one in a million, probably one of one of the most beautiful women ever to come out of Hollywood, to come into or out of Hollywood. And unfortunately she was the reason why she didn't get the part now I know that sounds kind of strange but Gloria's mother was her acting coach and kind of flippantly one day Mimi was at class and and mentioned something about the part how she wanted to play Edo Annie and that she was really hoping that she would get the part Well, that's when Gloria's mother went over to Gloria and put the bee in her bonnet about the part. And then Gloria suddenly wanted the part. She was probably a bit jealous of, of Mamie Van Doren, who, Gloria's lovely, but Mamie Van Doren is just, you know who she looks a lot like? She looks like Ice-T's wife, Coco. She's, She's really beautiful, kind of like a mixture between that and Anna Nicole Smith. If you mix Coco and Anna Nicole, you will get Mamie Van Doren. That's what they look like just, just like unreal, gorgeous. Um, I mean, I know it's in the eye of the beholder, but I am the beholder, so (laughs) that's why I say so gorgeous. Um, So yeah, she ended up getting the part. She could not sing, but they did not dub. They did not dub Gloria's music at all. She sang in two numbers. They spliced. They meticulously spliced the sound. Um, and they had many many takes. She also kind of poo pooed her the demeanor that she was supposed to play, which was kind of a comic relief. Um, she wanted to be more sexy, more sultry. She was used to being sexy and sultry. And honestly, she could have played the comic relief part. She was a really great actress, but I feel maybe she thought that was beneath her and that people would continue to not see her as sexy. Well, you know what? Oklahoma's not a sexy movie. Okay. Um, and she should have known that going in there is nothing sexy about that film there the only sexy thing about it really curly is kind of sexy but you know it to each his own he's and he's a horrible horrible man um i don't even know if i would think curly is sexy anymore my tastes have changed since i was 8 um but yeah, she wasn't well liked on on set. People found her to kind of step all over their lines. She wasn't basically wasn't taking the musical seriously as she was taking other films. But she wanted to be a part of it because it was such a big budget production. Um, but you know, when you are with someone as gung ho as Shirley Jones, who this is her first film role, and she is. She is going for it. She sings like a bird. She's got a two-inch waist. I mean, it's, you know, it kind of, it makes you look double bad. Um. So what they did, because she refused to kind of stay in the character that was prescribed to her, is they just had other actors come in and kind of play off of her and ham up even more to make her seem sillier than she was. So anyway, that that's my, that's my brief digression. So let's get back to the, the more difficult part of Gloria's life. So she has her nervous breakdown. She gets electroshock therapy. Her career is on the fritz. She's no longer uh no longer a desirable Hollywood star, in fact, being in Oklahoma is what kind of did that to her. um She continued to get minor plastic surgery um and she starred in t v and then she eventually started acting on stage in kind of community theater productions. The year that she divorced t- Tony May, she was also diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, and she recovered from it. It went into remission for some time. And then when she was living in New York and acting there off stage and also like, excuse me, off Broadway and in, in, uh, soap operas and whatnot, she met someone I believe this was when she was working on Hamlet, but I I might be mistaken. She met someone there who was almost 30 years younger than her named Peter Turner, and they began an affair. Now, he, he was a Liverpudlian, meaning he was from Liverpool, England, and so they bonded over their British roots. And even after their affair was over... Uh, they remained very close friends. Um, so she really did like younger guys, apparently. I mean, she maybe brought a, a maternal aspect in her because he was literally young enough to be her son. In the last years of her life, she went over to England and did more stage acting there. And during this time, she had developed stomach cancer and it was something that she was in denial about she completely did not acknowledge her illness or that she even had cancer she didn't tell Pete her on again off again lover the young guy about it Um, and she was in extreme pain a lot and she was, she was weak from it. Um, and so... She went to have some fluid drained from... From the giant cancer. Which had grown to about the size of... Like a football. And... The surgeon punctured her stomach. And she developed periantitis. And then she died a few days later. And at this... At this time, she was living with Peter's family in Liverpool. They were just a working, a plain working class family. And he later wrote a very touching memoir about her time with him called Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. And they made a movie of it a few years ago with Annette Bening. Um, But yeah, I, I started reading the memoir... It's good. It's, you know, it kind of reminds me of, you know, my day with Marilyn. Kind of, it has that kind of vibe, Um, but it still slaps. You know, I can still get something out of it. Um, But it was at, you know, the probably one of the many low points of Gloria's life. You know, I'm trying to figure out what would have been the low point of her lowest point of her life. You know, was it having the abusive husband? Was it not having a film career anymore? Um, was it having a nervous breakdown? Was it possibly being caught in bed with your 13-year-old stepson? Or being accused of it? Or having your husbands trying to take your children away from you? It's really hard to say what the lo- which low point was the lowest. And maybe it's not my place to assess that. But I'm curious, you know. We're all curious about the stars. So that is her... Those are the more sensational moments of her, of Gloria's life in a nutshell. She died at 50, age 57 on October 10th... Oh, excuse me, October 5th, 1981. And, you know... All things considered, she made a lot of really great films. She was very talented, I think, quite intelligent as well. Maybe wasn't quite there at the right time, maybe not as ambitious or as driven as Marilyn Monroe, so to speak, because people said that she came out, you know, before Marilyn Monroe. But we all know there could only be one Marilyn. And. She was typecast often as as a floozy, as someone who had low morals, low self-worth, someone who had a, a checkered past, a difficult, a difficult woman to love, but someone who would break your heart, the, you know, the essence of the film noir heroine, um she 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 defined it in so many ways and and so expertly so yeah that is what I have to say about Miss Gloria Graham I hope that you enjoyed listening to it and I know it went a little long today but what else are you gonna do um maybe I will when something else takes my interest maybe another star from long ago comes up I will do another piece about it but this episode is dedicated to Skip E. Lowe and his memory and I do highly recommend you watch his interviews on YouTube specifically the Mamie Van Doren one I think that you guys will get a kick out of it he contradicts himself a lot but all of them are all of them are just great okay I've got to get back to work I got some sewing to do and I'm going to try to maybe make some paper dolls or something. I hope that you guys have a wonderful week. Hang in there. Keep keeping your distance. Stay healthy. Take care. Bye-bye.